Hello everyone, welcome back to Legends of Surgery. I'm your host Tyler Rouse. Today I thought we'd talk about another surgical family, this time of French origin. For those of you that have worked in or studied trauma medicine, you may be familiar with the Lefort classification of facial fractures, described by René Lefort. But I would guess that only a few of you have heard some of the urban legends around his experiments that led to the classification, or know about his uncle, a surgeon of some renown in his own right. And that uncle had a famous father-in-law. So let's explore some of the branches of the Lefort family tree. So the Lefort of the facial fracture fame is René Lefort, and we'll get to him soon, but let's start with his uncle and godfather, Leon Clement Lefort. There actually isn't a lot written about him, or at least in the English language literature, and as some of you may remember from an earlier podcast, despite being Canadian, I don't speak French. I will tell you a little bit about him, though. Born December 5th, 1829 in Lille, France, which is in the north of France, near the Belgian border, Leon Lefort trained in Paris and volunteered in the Second Italian War of Independence in 1859, which involved the Second French Empire headed by Napoleon III and the Kingdom of Sardinia, a predecessor to the modern Italian state, versus the Austrian Empire. Following this, he returned to Paris and worked as a surgeon in a number of hospitals from 1865 to 1872, and, as what seemed to be the case for many surgeons of the 19th century, practiced in a number of fields of surgery including general surgery, orthopedics, gynecology, obstetrics, urology, and trauma or military surgery, as well as doing some work on anatomical studies. This is evident in the wide breadth of things named after him, which we'll get to shortly, but first let's continue on our journey with Leon. The next stop for him was as the head of a field hospital in Metz in the northeast of France during the Franco-Prussian War, fought in 1870-71 between again the Second French Empire and a number of German states led by the Kingdom of Prussia. Following this, in 1873, he became professor of surgery at the Hotel Dieu in Paris, which we have covered before, and remained active in the medical world until his death in 1893. And a quick note on the family tree. One of his principal teachers in his studies in Paris was Dr. Joseph-Francois Malgagny, who became his father-in-law. One can only imagine how that happened, as I don't have any details. Regardless, we'll circle back to Malgagny in a minute, but first let's cover some of the things Leon Lefort was famous for. First up is Lefort's operation. This is still in use today, although not often, and in very specific circumstances. This is done for what is called uterine prolapse, which is when the uterus, or womb, is no longer adequately supported by the pelvic floor muscles and ligaments, and it prolapses or protrudes out of the vagina. Now there are a number of ways to repair this, but Lefort's approach was a fairly simple one, which basically involves attaching the front and back walls, or anterior and posterior, of the vagina, which then holds the uterus up. Obviously this precludes sexual intercourse, but is a good solution for elderly, medically fragile patients that cannot tolerate a general anesthetic or a long surgery. There's also Lefort's amputation, a method of amputating the foot, Lefort's fracture of the ankle, which describes a specific pattern of injury in some ankle fractures, and Lefort's sound, a surgical instrument that is used to treat strictures or blockages of the male urethra. He was also known for being a proponent of asepsis in hospitals in a time before bacteria had been discovered, which leads back to the Lister podcast. So let's return to his father-in-law, Dr. Joseph-Francois Malgagny, and I think I'm saying that right. He mainly specialized in orthopedic surgery, but was known for publishing an influential book on surgical techniques in 1834, as well as being a medical historian and an early advocate of the use of statistics in medicine. And of course, he had a number of things named after him, including an amputation of the foot, a fracture of the pelvis still used today, a type of groin hernia in infants, an anatomical location called Malgagny's triangle or fossa near the carotid artery in the neck, and a luxation. And this one I'll describe quickly. It is a partial dislocation or separation of one of the bones of the forearm in the elbow and is known as the nursemaid's elbow or babysitter's elbow 
This is because it occurs by a sudden pull on an extended arm, such as when swinging a child by the arms or tugging on an uncooperative child. To be clear, it's the child, not the babysitter, that sustains the injury. Finally, he was also known for developing a surgical technique, along with another surgeon, Germanicus Moreau, to repair cleft lips. All right, that was a couple of branches, but let's get to the trunk of the family tree in this story, Dr. René Lafort. Born 1869 in Little France, like his uncle, René won early entrance to medical school and was one of the youngest to receive his Doctor of Medicine degree in France at the age of only 21. He then served as an apprentice and later as a military surgeon at the military hospital Val de Grasse in Paris until 1899. Now let's take a minute to learn a little bit more about Val de Grasse. It was originally a church, which was completed in 1645, and it is said that the cornerstone was laid by Louis XIV, the Sun King, when he was just seven years old. During the French Revolution, the Benedictine nuns there provided medical care for injured revolutionaries. And following the revolution, it was converted to a military hospital, which is where our good Dr. Lafort worked. Not surprisingly, the original buildings are no longer used as a hospital, but serve as offices and teaching facilities, with a new 350-bed hospital built on the grounds in 1979. Final note, there is a statue in the courtyard of Dominique Jean Larey, the personal surgeon of Napoleon, innovator of battlefield triage, and considered the first modern military surgeon. I promise we'll get back to him in another podcast, as he sounds fascinating. But back to René. After his time in Val de Grace, he pivoted to a more academic career, returning to Lille to teach at the medical school. This is when his famous papers were published, three in total, in February, March, and April in 1901 in the Revue de Chargerie. Luckily, these were translated and printed in two articles in 1972 in the journal Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery, which I was able to obtain. All right, now some of you may have noticed that this episode is rated explicit, and that's not for language, but rather for some fairly graphic descriptions of Dr. Lafort's experiments, which, although important to the story, may be disturbing to some listeners. So if that's you, thanks for listening this far. Feel free to skip ahead or stop here and join me next week. All right, for those of you still with me, let's get to it. René Lafort wanted to study fractures of the mid-face, which anatomically includes a number of complex bony structures from below the forehead down to the maxilla, or upper part of the jaw. The mandible, or lower jaw, is not included. His goal was to prove that these kind of fractures did not radiate or extend to the cranial base, meaning the back of the skull. He also wanted to study the mechanisms by which these injuries occurred so doctors could predict which injuries a patient might have based on the history of the trauma. This is particularly important as these types of fractures are often difficult to identify by physical exam and the associated swelling and bruising doesn't help matters much either. So Lefort himself noted that widespread bony lesions can be produced while the bones remain in their normal positions and that these fractures are often undiagnosed. We'll get to why that's important in a minute. But let's talk about the experiments themselves. If you're interested in studying trauma and specifically looking to reproduce patterns of injury, how do you test that? I doubt many living people would voluntarily allow themselves to be hit in the face. So the logical answer was cadavers. Where Lafort obtained these cadavers and where he even did the experiments has never been revealed but many of the cadavers were decapitated heads only. Now remember, this is France circa 1900. This is pure speculation on my part, but the guillotine was used for the death penalty in France until, this is true, 1977. Just saying. Oh, and I did discover this. The guillotine is named after a physician, Dr. Joseph Ignace Guillotin, who actually proposed it as a less painful method of execution instead of Louis XVI's breaking wheel. And don't look that up because it's terrible. He didn't invent the guillotine, which had been around since the 1200s, but it is now named after him despite his opposition to the death penalty. 
So rumors of what Lefort did exactly to these cadavers include stories of him dropping cannonballs on them, throwing heads off of his apartment building or down abandoned mine shafts, truly disturbing images of desecrating a corpse. The truth is that he used a number of different wounding agents, including a kick, a metal shaft, a wooden club, and the corner of a marble table with the blows directed from different directions and with different intensities. He also placed heads in a vice to apply compressive force. To study the injury, the skull was cut coronally, imagine a two-dimensional plane running from left to right, and the tough fibrous lining of the skull, called the dura mater, literally hard mother from the Latin, was removed to look for signs of fracture. The heads were then boiled to help remove the soft tissue to further study the facial bones. Sorry, I warned you this would be graphic. Now let me give you a couple of quotes from the translated original article to provide some context to his descriptions. Quote, Experiment 3, male, about 45 years old, decapitated specimen. The head was hurled against the rounded edge of the table so as to apply force to the upper lip. The result was negative. Experiment 19, old woman, cadaver supine, meaning laying on their back. The head was off the table, hanging freely behind. A violent blow was applied laterally to the right malar by an aide using a club. End quote. All right, that's enough of that. There were 35 experiments done in all, and with his results, Dr. Lefort described three basic patterns of injury called Lefort fractures 1, 2, and 3. The descriptions are complicated and involve a lot of anatomy, and so, since a picture tells a thousand words, I'll post something on Twitter and Facebook to illustrate this. But there's a simple memory aid for visualizing this. And when I describe this and I use the word floating, it means unattached to other bony structures. So Lefort 1 is a floating palate. Lefort 2 is a floating maxilla. Lefort 3 is a floating face. Although it is now understood that this can be an oversimplification and that fractures can be a combination of these types and can vary from one side to the other, it's still a useful way to conceptualize mid-face injuries. And this is important as these can be life-threatening injuries given that these fractures can compromise the airway and untreated fractures can lead to disfigurement. The main treatment is surgical, with the goal to restore proper anatomical relationships by fixing unstable fracture segments to stable structures. It's obviously a lot more complicated than that, but that's a basic concept behind Lefort fractures. So following these experiments, back in Lille, he began to specialize more and more in orthopedic surgery. But first the Balkan War and then World War I drew him back to military surgery, and he received a citation for operating under primitive and dangerous conditions at the front lines in the Battle of Dinant, a battle between French and German forces in the Belgian town of Dinant. In the last two years of the war, René, stationed in Versailles, became interested in thoracic surgery and was one of the first to operate on the great blood vessels, the heart, and the pericardium, which is the sac surrounding the heart, and he even published a book called Projectiles Enclosed in the Mediastinum, which is basically the space in the chest between the lungs. His later titles included, in Lille, Professor of Operative Medicine and Professor of Children's Surgery and Orthopedics. He also provided voluntary services to a sanatorium, which is a long-term medical facility, and it's typically used for tuberculosis patients, or it was back then. It comes from the Latin sanatorius, meaning health-giving. There he operated on many patients with tuberculosis lesions in their bones, something we don't often see today. In 1936, he was elected president of the French Society of Orthopedics, and he retired not long after, but came out of retirement at the start of World War II to work at the university while his medical colleagues went off to war. René Lefort passed away at the age of 82 in 1951, on his birthday, in his hometown of Lille. Sadly, the last years of his life were marked by an unknown illness, and he was predeceased by his daughter and youngest son. But his family name lives on, both through his work and that of his uncle, and they can be added to our growing list of legends of surgery. Well, that wraps up another episode of Legends of Surgery, and I hope you enjoyed it. 
The anniversary of D-Day just passed on June 6th, which got me thinking about World War II. One surgeon who I've been interested in doing is Dr. Alexis Carroll, a very interesting character who won the Nobel Prize, worked with the famous aviator Charles Lindbergh, and was accused of collaborating with the Nazis. Lots of fascinating stuff there, so don't miss it. Please rate the podcast on iTunes and leave a comment there. Or follow me on Twitter at Surgery Legends. Like us on Facebook at Legends of Surgery or send an email to legendsofsurgery at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you about your thoughts on the podcast or ideas for future episodes. And as always, thanks for listening.